Good morning. How are you doing today? Are we doing well? Man, fantastic. It's great. So great uh, to be with you. Uh, so, so excited to be with you. We're just having a, I think we're having a great worship service, aren't we? Uh, we just have so much to praise God for. Um, I'm so excited about it. It was so beautiful to hear that beautiful scripture from Revelation in which we heard this great, glorious future read to us in different languages. And we're gonna, we're gonna come back to that in just a minute uh, and, and look at this, this great future uh, to come. But I wanna do a little bit, it's a perfect time for us to do a little bit of a review. So we have been in this kingdom series. This is week 12 out of 14 weeks, and if you're just joining us, welcome, and welcome to everyone who's uh, joining us online. Great to have you. Um, We have been in the series for, uh, this is our 12th week, and every week has a symbol just to help us remember uh, what we've done. So I wanna invite my volunteers to go to your stations, okay? So I thought, you know, a lot of times I've done the review, and it just might all blend together, but uh, it might be fun today to do it a little bit differently, and so, am I grabbing red or yellow? I got yellow, is that good? All right, we're gonna use yellow, okay. Hello, okay. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna interview my volunteers from among, among you here, and uh, are you gonna be a volunteer? Yes, I no, am. No, no, you're not, I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I'm not gonna surprise you, okay? Um, and I'm gonna ask uh, our volunteers to give us a summary of uh, what happened in that week. So this is way back in our very, very first week, and we're gonna find out uh, what happened way, way back when we first started. What, what, what is this symbol all about? This U-turn symbol uh, represents repentance. To repent means to choose to change our original direction in life. Mm. When we accept God as our Lord and Savior, we need to change our thinking and our actions because our actions show our allegiance to who our king is. Awesome, thank you. Fantastic, didn't she do great? That's awesome, all right. This symbol for week two represents the upside down kingdom. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom and Jesus is a king willing to be a suffering servant and the characteristics of the kingdom are a blessing to all of our lives. Awesome, thank you William, appreciate it. All right, and Dora. And this heart symbol symbolizes that God wants our hearts. On week three, you talked about surrendering our hearts to God and to try to live a life or live out the spirit of God's love, and that is to live a life of righteousness, to love God and to love people. And God wants our love to be a choice um, and that love to be uh, genuine and pure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andorra. Good job. Yvonne, what is, what is this one? This symbol is for thy kingdom come. And what that means to me, it's about holy discontent. Mm. We look around and we see a world where there's oppression, injustice, violence, and we say, this isn't good, this isn't right. But we also have hope because we can also say, this will not be so in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, Bill. What's the deal? What's the deal with this one? This symbolizes God's power breaking through, and his power 
gives us the ability to help rescue people with Jesus from the powers of the kingdom of darkness. Awesome. Thank you so much. Can I, I think this is probably one of the funkier ones, Gail. What does this one mean? Well, um, please look at the roots and where are the roots planted in soil, green soil. Green would indicate that it's nourished. So how can we nourish the soil so that our roots are strong and our heart goes forward into the world to love people and so they know the love of God? Go to the Word of God and also pray. Awesome. Thank you, Gail. Great. Okay, Celeste, so there's plants. What does this mean? This is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. So the wheat are the followers of Jesus Christ, and the weeds are people of the evil one. And they grow side by side in the field, which is the world. And like us, the disciples wondered, don't we want God to come and pull the weeds? But Jesus said, no, let them grow side by side, and when I return again, I will take care of the weeds. And our job as followers of Christ, our focus is to be wheat growers. We share the gospel and bear fruit. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Great job. Oh. All right, Terry. Who likes a great deal? Would you trade something old for something new and better? The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When we give up our own time, benefits of, uh, lowly benefits of possessions or ambition or control, we get the eternal benefits of God's kingdom life. Wow. Oh, that's a good deal. All right. Best deal ever. Best deal ever. Absolutely. Okay, so looks like tears. What's this? This is, um, the symbol represents the least of these. Mm. Jesus loves his kids. And some of his kids are the least of these, the poor, the hungry, the poor prisoners, the sick. And we who love Jesus love him by serving them, the serving the poor and the hungry. We bless them. We love them. We help them. And in so doing, we're doing the same to Jesus. Amen. Awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Okay, now it's a little bit yellow. I don't know if you're able to see this one, but it's a, it's a baby, right? What does this represent? Well, uh, we left Matthew to go to a real event in Jesus' life uh, to show a Pharisee who normally felt it was what he did that, entered, that gave him the entrance into the kingdom of God. But Jesus told him he must be born again. And so... That was something that he was unfamiliar with. He couldn't accept God's grace. And what we have through the Lord Jesus Christ is just to accept God's free gift for eternal life. And that's what makes me want to tell others about Jesus and to be able to lead a life that just reflects what God has been doing all along for all of us. So I'm really thankful for, for that, that truth that we learned awesome. in becoming born again. Amen. Thank you so much. Okay. Margaret, is it, a, it looks like a, like a firefighter carrying someone. What, what, is, what is this one? Yes, this symbol of a rescuer is to remind us that God's kingdom is here with us now. 
God has rescued us from the dis despair and darkness and brings us into his son's uh, kingdom that he loves his son and it's full of light. And um, through prayer, he wants us to grow in love and faith uh, that we may acknowledge um, he has forgiven us of our sins through, uh, and redeemed us. And he wants us to grow in love and faith and knowledge so that we can live lives that are full of his fruit. Awesome. Thank you so much. So good. The symbol that, the symbol that was here is, is, uh, is coming out. There we go. There, it's coming out now. That's going to be what we're going to talk about this week, which is the kingdom future. So uh, we're going to be looking at Revelation. And what is this thing that we're coming to? The week after, we see Palm Sunday and then Easter. So that's kind of where we're, where we're heading for the rest of this year. So let, let's thank the volunteers, and you guys can have a seat. Okay, okay so, the, so the series today goes to the kingdom future. This is kind of, a, what is this glorious land, this thing that we're approaching? Where, where does this story all end? My, uh, my dad has a funny way of reading books. Um, you know, if he reads a book, uh, he, he reads the end first, okay? Essentially what he does, I mean, it, it could be like even like, say, a mystery uh, novel or something. And what he essentially does is he says that he, well, I read enough of the book. So I'm going to read enough of the book to just kind of understand who the names of the main characters are. And then I skip to the end of the book to figure out how it's going to end. And then I go back and read the book. Now, how many of you guys think, well, that kind of messes up the story, right? You think, hey, you're, you're ruining the story, Daddy. He goes, no, no, no. He's like, if I read a book, I'm trying to relax. The last thing I need is more stress in my life. So I'm not going to let the author like taunt me with all this stress. I'm going to figure out what's the end, and then I'll be like, all right, I'm mildly interested in how they get there, right? So, you know, uh, that's how he reads the book. Uh, I think in a, in a similar way, we could derive some benefit from reading the end of this book. Okay, we've been working our way through the pages of the New Testament. What we're going to do today is we're going to skip ahead to the last pages of the Bible. Okay? Now, I don't think you should just read that. You know, the middle stuff is pretty important. That's why we spent all these weeks. I'm so grateful for all the people that paid such close attention. I think they said each week better than I did. Um, now what we're going to do is we're going to skip to the end and hopefully we can find out, okay, what is the end of the story? Is this a tragedy? Is it a triumph? What is the story we're reading? Where's this kingdom of God thing going? Like, how does it all end? And hopefully, by reading the end of the book, we're able to live in this present part of the story with all of its tensions uh, and, 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 and have some level of relaxation and comfort from knowing, I'll just, I'll spoil it for you. Close your ears if you don't like spoilers. It has a happy ending. Something good happens at the end. Okay, right, it's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna know that, and then we're gonna be able to kind of just take a breath a bit as we live into this life, and kind of also understand where we are heading. So, I want to just show you. Now, we're gonna look at the book of Revelation. Obviously, we're not gonna cover the entire book. We just have. We just have uh, one day to look at that. There's a lot of questions that come up with the book of Revelation. There's going to be a lot of things I'm not able to answer. I'm not trying to preach on the whole book of Revelation. I'm only trying to give you a couple little glimpses as they pertain 
to the kingdom of God. We've been trying to figure out what is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. And that's what we've been asking of the Bible over these three months. We're going to ask that of Revelation. What can we learn from the book of Revelation about the kingdom of God, in particular, the fullness of the kingdom of God. We, we said earlier in the series that, the king, that Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God. He, he brings it in and it's here present, and, but it's not fully arrived yet. It's in the process of continuing arriving until one day in which it fully arrives. What does that look like? And we have these, these beautiful pictures in the book of Revelation of what that day looks like. And I just want to share with you two of the little moments uh, in the book of Revelation about where we're all heading. The first one comes from Revelation 5, and we heard it read so beautifully. Thank you guys so much uh, that we heard it read uh, first in English and then in multiple languages uh, celebrating uh, what it's actually saying. So I'm going to just read to you a, a, a few of these verses again. Uh, and then the song that we sung is inspired by that scripture. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Uh, if the story ended at that moment, it actually would be a tragedy story. He's weeping. There's no one worthy to open this scroll. Let's, let's take a minute to think about what is this scroll that, that, that they're all focused on and that he's weeping about. Okay, so what is a scroll? It's a, it's a rolled papyrus. They, they, that was the common uh, way of writing. The day we have a picture we can uh, pull up. Um, so there's writing on papyrus, and it's, and it's rolled up, and you can see this wax seal that's, that's binding. There's seven seals um, that are binding various parts of this document, whatever it is. And there's like a signet ring, so it's someone who is sending this message or who is authorizing it or who is witnessing it or the, the owner of property who's sealing his, his last will and testament or something would, would, um, would seal up the will, would seal up the document or the letter and put the signet ring into the wax to, to show they are the, that authority is the one who sealed the document and only an authorized person is allowed to open it. So if it's a letter addressed to someone, this is how you know that it made it safely to the person without other people reading it along the way because you would know if the seal is broken, right? Or if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a last will and testament, only the legal heir is able to kind of like open it up. So this is, this is how these wax seals happen. Now, what is the exact meaning of the nature of this scroll? There's a lot of different theories trying to understand it. Uh, one theory is that it's like a judgment lien, like it's like a, like a legal proceeding in which there's a debt being paid and it's, gonna, it's, it's time to kind of, uh, there's been a default on the debt and there's, who, you know, who can pay this debt? That's kind of one, one theory. Another approach to it is that this is like the secret plan to, to bring about the, the kingdom of God, and, but who can, who can do such a thing? One that I particularly uh, like is the, the thought of this scroll being like a property deed to the universe, you know, this is uh, sealed by the creator, the creator of the universe uh, who then sealed it. Who, can, who is worthy then to open it up and, and bring in this new thing that's going to happen, the fullness of the kingdom? 
uh, the meaning of the seals. When, when the seals are open, every time uh, along the book of Revelation, every time one of the seals is opened, uh, there's going to be this new level of power that is released that starts to sweep away the old order of things. That starts to sweep away the injustices and the corruption and the, the, kind of the, the, the filth and all, all the things that have gone wrong in the, in, the, in the current world and start to bring in the full reign and power of God. Why is John weeping? The situation happens and he just starts, the, this is the, the apostle John who's late in life. He's actually getting this vision while he's in exile on, uh, on an island. Uh, that was his you know, uh, punishment uh, from the Romans. And so he's kind of in exile. He has this vision. And, uh, and in the vision, he's weeping. He's weeping because there's this crisis moment in heaven in which nobody on earth, nobody in heaven is worthy to open the scroll. And so he's weeping in shame at the profound unworthiness of all people. This is one of the essential, this is the essential problem of the universe is all of us have fallen short. But then there's this moment in verse five. It says, then one of the elders said to me, don't weep, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. They're talking about Jesus there. See, the lion has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Don't weep. It's not a tragedy story. The unworthiness of humanity is not the end of the story because there is a triumph. There is one who's worthy, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he looks up looking for the lion. And in verse six, he says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Don't we? It's not gonna be ultimately a tragedy because one has been worthy, found worthy, and he is the lion. He looks up at the lion and he sees a lamb slain. This evokes the, the, when you first see Jesus, the beginning of our story in John the Baptist, in, in, in John, uh, uh, John 1, he looks up and he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lion who would make himself a sacrificial lamb, this tradition in the Old Testament of, of a lamb being sacrificed and to, to sort of pay for the sins of the person sacrificing the animal. Now, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the great king of kings, actually makes himself a lamb to be slain for all. And then, because of this lamb... The slain lamb who's found worthy. Everyone in heaven starts to sing a new song. And this is the song they're singing. In verse nine. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. You were killed. You sacrificed yourself. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons of every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign 
on the earth. So just a few, few points on this, and then we'll, we'll keep going with the scripture. A few points. The first one is this. Our unworthiness is overcome by the worthiness of the slain lamb, Jesus Christ. And this turns our weeping into celebration. Think how many times you and I weep or we just kind of wallow in despair at the own, our own shame of our unworthiness. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as that person. I have failed. We are wallowed in shame. But that is not the main story. The main story is the worthiness of Jesus, which through everything we've been talking about these weeks is given to you. If you're in Christ, then you have the worthiness of Christ. You have the white robes that he gives you. And the worthiness of Christ is more powerful than the unworthiness of us. It's bigger than our, his victory, his obedience is bigger than our failure. And it's enough to cause the weeping man to become a singing man. Second point, the sacrifice of Christ purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. When Jesus sent out on his mission, he wasn't trying to rescue one kind of person. He was trying to rescue all kinds of people. Everyone that God made and that he called good, he pursues and with his sacrifice blood goes to purchase people from all stripes and sizes and colors, all languages, all people groups, all tribal groups. There's gonna be representatives of everybody there in that moment. And then this, Christ forges this diverse multitude into a kingdom. These are people who come from every kingdom on earth, every, every nook and cranny of the earth. They are all different, right? And he brings them together and they together become the kingdom that we've all been talking about. Now, we have as one of our stated missions over this kind of five-year period, these mountains we've talked about, this 2025 vision, diversity is one of those mountains. It's, it's, it's something that we intentionally say, this is part of who we are as a church. This is part of where we're going as a church. We want to celebrate diversity. We want to embrace it. We want to grow in it. Absolutely, it's part of who we are. Now, where does that come from? That's not just some kind of trendy thing that, oh yeah, everybody is suddenly celebrating this word and so we want to be cool too, you know? Uh, instead, it's actually a vision that has deep, deep roots in the kingdom, right? The, the thing about Pentecost, the church born into diversity, and then where are we going? Where is this all leading? The most diverse assembly ever in the history of the universe is brought together and it says, and this they are made into a kingdom. And the blood of Jesus paid for all their sins and brought them together. So that multitude, it says that he bought with his blood, shows up two chapters later in Revelation 7, verse nine. It says this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count for every nation and tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes because they had been washed clean. 
And they were holding palm branches. That's the, that's the announcement of the king, like we see on Palm Sunday. And they cried in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So diverse people from every kingdom on earth brought together and forged into one kingdom, celebrating and praising God together. And when we look like that, we collectively are a sign of the kingdom to come. The more variety among us, acknowledging Christ as king, the more we lean into that future kingdom to which he is taking us. Amen? Amen. So I want you to just take a second and look around and see, do you see anybody who looks different from you? Say, thank God. They make us look more like the kingdom. All right? Raise your hand if you see someone in the room who looks different than you. Raise your hand. Anybody? Fantastic. Everybody but the blind members of our church are raising their hand, okay? <laughs> Grateful for that. Now raise your hand if you acknowledge Jesus Christ as king. Amen. Amen. Okay. So today, just now, we are a sign of the kingdom. And we want to just keep making that sign more and more complete and more and more beautiful. Amen? Until the day, until the day in which he brings all his people together. And we have the scripture read in more and more languages, more and more music styles, and all of it's together. It's going to be fun. Believe me, I've been to a few countries you know, put them all together, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be a party. It's going to be amazing. I want to just uh, take you to uh, one more uh, piece of scripture. And this one is sacred to me. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. I want to invite you to just stand for this reading. Uh, this is Revelation 21. Okay, this is what my dad does. Fast forward to the end of the story, okay? This is, this is right there, just about just the end of the story. I'm going to, I'm going to show you this, uh, Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or crying or mourning or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Before you sit, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God will not always live in heaven. You don't want to say it, huh? You're like, what? And neither will I. Okay, I'm gonna explain it. Go have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. All right. You're like, usually I say that, and you guys all just, oh, yeah, yeah, Pastor said to say, I'll say it. But you guys were all like, what? Wait, what? God's not gonna be in heaven? I'm not, I can't say that, right? But here's the thing, right? Our eternal destiny is not in heaven, it is in the new heaven and the new earth. And there's a difference. And we see that in the scripture. Let me just explain. I know it's a little bit complicated, but let me just try to explain it really briefly. And someday we'll have a whole series on it, okay? But essentially the timeline of the Bible is something like this. We tend to think I'm living my life, I die, and now I'm in heaven. 
And that's just kind of the same for all eternity, right? Isn't that how you kind of think? But the timeline of the Bible is this. You're living your life, you die, and then something transpires. So there's different ways in which people conceive of it. You see some teaching the Catholic Church kind of talking about a purgatory. Some people speak about, okay, then you go to heaven where you're, you're with God. Some people imagine it as you're, you're kind of more like you're asleep waiting for the resurrection day. But whatever, and theologians uh, call that the intermediate state. But then comes the day when Jesus comes back. And that's the resurrection day. That's the judgment day. That is then the moment in which we come, then come when we had this moment, the new heaven and the new earth. And that is when finally evil and good are separated. And this beautiful moment happens in which there's this new heaven and this new earth. And we're gonna see the city of God comes down from heaven to be on earth. And that is our eternal destiny. Okay, so let me, let, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at that together. Okay, 21 verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. So real quick, uh, basically the conception that the Israelites had of the cosmos, they thought of uh, the earth as this is what we're standing on. And the heavens, the heaven is like the heavens. It's like the, the sky above and it's the realm of God who's, who, who comes down and, 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 and is, is part of the world and, and, and intervenes and sends us rain and sends lightning and all these things from above. But, but his main dwelling place is up there removed from us in some way in heaven, right? And, and we want to be, to be with him and to be blessed by him. But there's some level of separation, right? Earth is our place. The heavens is up there where God and the angels are. But then we see in this scripture, in verse, let's go to verse two. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice of throne saying, listen to this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, why does this matter? Okay, let me, let me I'm gonna kind of unpack it. I'll try to tell you why this matters. First of all, I'll just tell you there's this description. Revelation goes on. It describes this heavenly city that's going to be coming down, the, the city of God. And it gives us actual dimensions. The dimensions of this city are 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles and then vertically 1,400 miles. Okay, so essentially if you were to superimpose that where we live, it would be the city that would go from Tijuana up to Vancouver, Canada over to Minnesota, down to Louisiana, and back. And it would be so high that the International Space Station would crash into the bottom, okay? This is the description in Revelation of the city of God. And the point of it is, it's gonna be big enough for all of us. Where's this multitude of people from every tribe and tongue and nation and from all these different time periods, where are they gonna live? Well, this city's gonna be big enough. And it's gonna be 
beautiful. It describes it as gold and diamonds and sapphires. And there's, there's giant gates that are made out of pearls that are 200 feet in diameter. I mean, it's just this amazing, beautiful description. And in this new heaven, the new earth, God is no longer conceived as far away, uh, distant, invisible. It's now as he makes this new heaven and this new earth. So just sort of think of what you normally think of as heaven, this, this, this permanent eternity is God actually right with us where you can see God. He's not far away and distant. He's right there among us, ruling and reigning and making all things right and bringing us comfort and bringing us hope and peace and justice. Some of us think about uh, heaven. One of the, the reasons I think this matters, let's show this picture. Maybe this is your picture of heaven. The picture of the little, no, not that one. No, that's a good picture. Let's go back. Save, we're gonna save that one. My bad, my bad. Let's go, go backwards to the, uh, the little guys. That's, that's what most of you think about, right? Is that what you think of when you think of heaven? The reason I want to explain to you about, okay, there's this intermediate state, and then there's this, this whole thing of this new heaven, this new earth, is because when we think of, oh, we're just going to be beamed up and spend eternity kind of up there in the clouds, we're thinking of just kind of ethereal state where we're just a soul and we have no body, we're imagining something like this. And when we think about something like this, you know what I think? I think, I don't want to go there, Right? <laughs> Does anybody want to go there? Does anybody want to be these guys? I mean, it's kind of cool that they have the wings. I don't even think those wings are strong enough to support them. I mean, they, these are some healthy babies, okay? These are actually pictures of uh, Raphael painted these. They're, they're actually uh, like angels uh, depicted on the, kind of the feet, but they became interesting. But somehow this kind of image became our picture. Somehow we think... And, and, and we don't look forward to heaven. Every time I imagined heaven like this, I'm just kind of this disembodied spirit with wings on clouds. It sounds like it sucks, right? Excuse my language. I'm like, I don't want to go there, right? But that's why it's so important to understand the eternal destiny that God has for us is awesome, actually, right? When that, that that's description of the new heaven, the new earth... Some people conceive of it as like the, the cosmos disappears and there's a whole new one, but a lot of interpreters interpret it as the renewed heaven and the renewed earth. The things that are destroyed are all the things that just corrupt and mess things up. And then the thing that, that we know uh, is going to be just like what C.S. Lewis calls a shadow of the thing to come. Let me show you Yosemite. Okay, let's show this next picture. Right. Who's ever been there? It's a, it's, this, is, this is a great place, right? It's fantastic. Thank you. It's fantastic. Okay. I never looked forward to heaven until I started reading C.S. Lewis's sort of description in The Last Battle and a book called The Great Divorce, which is not about marriage divorce. It's about the divorce of good and evil and the, the separation of heaven and hell. But he, he describes heaven as like, you think about this earth, this earth, everything that you love and that's beautiful in this earth is just like a, like a shadow of the heavenly version that's gonna come in the renewed heaven. So it's like you're in a beautiful place like this, but without mosquitoes, <laughs> right? It's gonna be a place like this without the mosquitoes or the crowds or the entrance fee, okay? And, uh, and you can just stay and linger for as long as you want and you're, 
Your, your, your wife and kids aren't yelling at you that it's cold, we wanna go home. Okay? You, can just, you can just be there, right? In that moment, this is, this is where I was standing when actually I got the call saying Christ Community Church wants to hire you as their pastor. I was praying alone in this field here, right? I didn't take this picture, but... Uh, and I was just thinking, wow, you know, just a... But, but, but this, is, this, is, this is nothing compared to what Yosemite Valley, Valley is gonna look like in the fullness of the kingdom of God, right? You're not gonna have to lock up your car when you're up there because nobody's gonna be stealing from you, not even the bears, okay? <laughs> I think another thing about the heaven, why I didn't used to look forward to it, is I imagine it like a, like a freeze frame. My picture in heaven used to be a freeze frame. Like, okay, we're just there, and we got our wings, and we're sitting on a cloud, and we're singing, ah, and, um, and that's just it, okay? I mean, it kind of seemed boring to me. It's like stick, stuck in a worship service all day. Like, Matt's never going to stop preaching. I'm just stuck here forever, right? Okay? Just give me a couple minutes, okay? And, uh, and when you're, you're just there and it's a freeze frame, but actually it's going to be dynamic, right? Uh, you experience life. The things we love about life now is, is you're, you're growing and you're changing and you're, you're creating things. You're going to be able to grow and change and create things in heaven because God made you to be that way. And because God is a great creator, there's going to be adventure in heaven and time for relationships there in this new heaven and the new earth. It is going to be amazing, and you're going to be gathered there with people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation proclaiming Christ as Lord. It's going to be a party. Does that sound like somewhere you want to go? I want to hang out with you there, okay? We're going to hang out there forever. It's going to be amazing. I'll just close uh, with this. You guys ever read this book, C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle? It's the last of the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, there's this moment where they finally, uh, they're finally arriving at at Aslan's country, who's the the Jesus figure of the story. They're finally arriving, and they they see this whole big picture of of things that kind of look like what they knew before, but now now perfected, and and people that they knew they were there, but but now healed of their diseases and and, and their infirmities and, and resurrected and all this stuff, and and uh, there's, this, there's, this, there's this magical unicorn who's among them, okay? And he, and he yells, uh, when he comes in this place, he says, I, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. And then he neighs. And he says, come further up and further in. And they're all racing up and every further they go into Aslan's country, it just gets more and more beautiful. And then they meet Aslan, the great lion who's also the lamb, right? And he explains, they're like, what is this? Is this, is this heaven? Like, where, where are we? Are we dead? Are we dead? What's going on here? And he says, and Aslan says, there was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, meaning our current life, you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, 
But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And, and for this, this is the end of all stories, but we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen? Amen. I invite you to stand for the benediction. And now may you live the rest of your life in this world, yearning and looking forward to the world to come. Because he who has bought you with his own blood will see you safely to the other side. We'll have the grand reunion and we will praise the Lord there forever. God bless you.